Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will answer some key questions surrounding the metaverse, including the scope, the potential path forward in the years to come for evolution, and what investors should be mindful of in these early days. Joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Kevin Deneen, Technology Analyst Americas, Rob Samuels, Consumer Analyst Americas, as well as Reed Gilligan, Associate Analyst Americas from the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Kevin, Rob Reed, welcome back. Great to be with you all as always. Hope you had a nice holiday weekend and very much looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for having us, Dan. Absolutely. So I know there's a lot to unpack with this conversation. I do want to point out up front for our listeners, our clients, uh, there is a correlating research publication, title of which, Let's Get Meta, an early introduction to the metaverses. The piece is now available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO, though, of course, for our clients of UBS, reach out to your financial advisor to receive a copy of the publication directly, though a lot to unpack here. Maybe Kevin is a good starting point. Can you simply answer for us, what is the metaverse and why is everyone talking about it? Yeah, thanks, Dan. So there is a lot to unpack, and I think the metaverse is is really new territory um, for a lot of us. Uh, The concept goes back, I don't know, a dozen years or so, maybe more. Uh, The concept really popped up in in the world of science fiction, and the metaverse is used to describe a world where we spend the majority of our time in a virtual world with virtual experiences. Um, this concept of the metaverse, though, it's, it's really become a part of the investing zeitgeist. Uh, over the last six months, metaverse was mentioned more than 370 times in earnings calls and conference calls and investor presentations from companies and industries that range from semiconductors to toys. Um, when we talk about the metaverse, I think it's important to, to point out that current, def- current definitions vary. So there's not really a textbook definition yet, but the way that we think about the metaverse is we think about it as a deeply immersive experience of 3D worlds that are persistent, they're synchronous, and they're interoperable. The metaverse will merge physical reality with, with digital, and it will concurrently support an unlimited number of people, each with an individual sense of presence. And when we talk about the metaverse and why is everybody talking about it, we think there's clearly a lot of excitement about this opportunity, but our view is that there is still a high degree of uncertainty about what the metaverse, what form the metaverse will actually take, how the metaverse will be monetized or commercialized. And because of that, we think there's still a lot of uncertainty about who the ultimate winners in the, in the metaverse will be. Well, Kevin, that was a very helpful backdrop. Though, Reed, just to clarify, our current virtual experiences, I think of everything from social networking to even video games. Are those considered to be metaverses? Thanks, Dan. So we've seen that in the news. A lot of these experiences and games are labeled as metaverses, and that's really the drum, the excitement. But unfortunately, no, these are not considered a metaverse. Um, because they lack the essential attributes that Kevin said in, in our definition, which is persistence, synchronous, and interoperability. Um, very briefly, persistence means the metaverse will continue indefinitely without any resets or pauses. Synchronous means it will have real-time experiences without any latency issues um, that we, we often experience in current shared virtual experiences. It, it also means that there is no limit on the number of users that can experience something concurrently. Um, and interoperability 
means that assets purchased in one part of the metaverse will have value everywhere. Just for a brief example, if I buy, say, a hat in one virtual world, my avatar will need to be able to wear that hat anywhere else in the metaverse. And that's something that is certainly lacking in in today's um, virtual experiences. But while the realization of a, of a complete metaverse is years away, we do view the trends that we're seeing in the gaming space as a very positive signal. And um, it does offer a glimpse at what the metaverse could become in the um, five to 10 years in the future. So really quickly, these trends include the number of gamers increasing dramatically. The average age of a gamer is increasing. So it's not just a millennial or a Gen Z hobby. There's interest across all age groups. Um, it's becoming more socially focused experiences. So it's not just you sit down and you just kind of play a game by yourself. You're with friends. Um, you're interacting constantly. And then we're also seeing success beyond the traditional gaming uh, with the virtual concerts uh, attracting tens of millions of concurrent viewers. And finally, I'll wrap it up with um, the digital asset values increasing. So we're seeing this with the interest in NFTs um, and limited, limited edition consumer goods being sold in these virtual platforms, having a similar price point in the virtual world as they do in the physical one. So it sounds like that there are many potential avenues. So to that point, Kevin, to unpack the scope a bit more, when you think about the metaverse, will there only be one or as the publication alludes to, is there a bit more to it than that? Yeah, Dan, you bring up a good point. And um, you know, the, the answer is right now, we, we don't know for sure, um, because we're still early stage in all this, but we think it's an important question because a single metaverse, right? The way that the metaverse is sort of idealized right now, it's a single metaverse with, with, that's wide open. And a single metaverse may mean that the profit opportunities are more limited because in a single universe, we think it's a fragmented group of platform providers. So to drill down on this a little bit, if we have one single metaverse, that may mean that digital advertising, which we think will be a, a key part of, the, of whatever shape the metaverse takes, Digital advertising may mean that there's lots of different ad providers. So that competition may mean that the margins aren't particularly attractive. Um, on the, on other fronts, you know, if, if we have lots of participation from lots of different companies, will industry margins mirror the analog world? Um, if this is the case, if we have this single metaverse that's really fragmented with a bunch of different providers, who's going to spend the billions of dollars required to enable and support a wide-open decentralized metaverse. In other words, the profit pool has to be there to enable the single metaverse. So what we think is actually more likely is a, an extension of the current state of the Internet. One is, and what that looks like, we think, is that there will be several wa large walled garden metaverses, um, several different unique worlds, unique metaverses that do provide this deeply immersive 3D digital experience, but maybe it falls short in terms of the ideals of portability and interoperability. So what you do in one metaverse may not be able to be ported over or interoperate with another uh, metaverse. And we think that's really driven by the economics, right? This is going to cost a lot of money to build out and a lot of money to, to support, which means there has to be significant profit pools, which we think means that there's going to be ultimately multiple metaverses. 
sounds like that there are still many unknowns when it comes to the scope. And within the publication, one of the key points that you all touch on is the monetization of the metaverse. So to that point, Reed, how will the metaverse or metaverses be monetized? Unfortunately, uh, still very little, but we can definitely um, make some expectations on how monetization of the metaverses will emerge. And we, we expect it to come in multiple forms across many industries. And I'll just start off with the video game industry, which has already spent decades creating these immersive virtual worlds that are increasingly social in nature. nature. So um, the video game industry does have this first mover advantage, and it's, it's very likely going to play an important part in the metaverse. So monetization strategies with video games include game sales, freemium, which is free-to-play, plus a premium add-on purchases, subscription models, and uh, platform stores, so in-game purchases to purchase these either character cosmetics or um, different tools for your character throughout all these different virtual worlds. And we, we have seen that um, these virtual games now have created successful small-scale virtual economies and currencies. So we expect those to pro- proliferate um, as the metaverse is established. On the consumer hardware side, we do expect VR and AR headsets or virtual reality and augmented reality headsets to play a major part in accessing the metaverse. But over the long term, we do expect um, consumer hardware to likely struggle on the margin side, just given historical gaming trends. Moving on to entertainment, Entertainment is a clearly use case, a killer use case for the metaverse. And it's really all about these immersive virtual experiences. And it's going to open up these new forms of storytelling and delivery. Think of a TV show where you are a a major part or you're a main character or you can decide if you want to be the villain. um, And your actions directly have an impact on the outcome. So within entertainment, we expect monetization strategies to... um, follow a similar trend that we've seen in the current industry right now. So think of subscriptions and then one-time purchases for premium experiences such as a virtual theme park. Uh, With that, I'm going to pass on to Rob to talk about consumer. Sure. Thanks, Reed. So, you know, as Reed mentioned, virtual avatars that are currently being used in video games are highly customizable uh, with with a variety of in-game cosmetics. For example, Within Roblox, one in five users today alter their avatar's appearance on a daily basis. So what we're seeing is large consumer brands are already taking steps to create virtual product copies of what they sell in the real world. You know, for example, uh, Nike or and Roblox just announced the Nike Land within Roblox, uh, where they will have a virtual Nike uh, headquarters, and you'll be able to interact uh, and, and purchase and purchase digital uh, digital items there. Um, you know, Take Two's NBA 2K uh, game. Uh, there several several modes actually allow users to outfit their avatars with different well-known brands, whether it's Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, uh, and even do exclusive limited-time offerings uh, with within the game. Um, going back to Roblox, we've seen limited-edition Gucci purchases being sold for more than uh, you know four thousand dollars. That's a sign to us that premium goods continue to warrant. Uh, premium prices, even in a virtual world, a virtual world. So as more time is spent in the metaverse, the value of the character differentiation increases, and we would not be surprised to continue to see these global brands and retailers continuing to st- 
stake a claim within the metaverse and continuing to offer, um, you know, digital, digital copies of, of their goods and brands. And, you know, for, for, for these companies, you know, it's, it's a win-win situation for them. Dan, it's Kevin. And on the, um, technology and, and communication services front, um, when we think about the, the metaverse and how it's going to be monetized and maybe benefits from it, you know, we look at it through the lens of technology providers and platform companies. And on technology providers, you know, we're thinking about the companies that provide some of the key enabling technologies or key technological underpinnings of the metaverse. So we think this is nothing but good news for the semiconductor industry. Um, that said, we think there's some questions about, you know, the computing power that will be required for this virtual world, which will be massive and, and significant and incremental. Um, that computing power, where will it live? Will it be massive data centers up in the cloud like we have today? Will it be high-powered endpoints like augmented reality glasses or virtual headsets, virtual reality headsets um, in consumer electronics? Or will it maybe be somewhere in the middle at the edge of 5G networks um, in mobile edge compute data, center, data centers? We, we don't know for sure. My hunch is it's going to be a combination of all three. But we think this is nothing but positive for the semiconductor industry over the longer term. We think it's also positive for communications equipment providers. There's going to be a lot of networking involved in all this and, and storage companies. On the platform side, you know, we think the large uh, internet platforms obviously have a lot of skin in the game. They have a lot of advantages here, whether we're talking about, you know, literally billions of users already in their user base the technical chops to run these massive data centers as they do currently, um, and the ability to, to scale new platforms. Um, so we, we think that the platform companies, there's an inherent advantage to incumbency. Not that there's not room for new entrants, but we think incumbency is going to be pretty powerful here. Um, and that's another reason that we think we're going to see you know, multiple metaverses and you know, a series of walled garden experiences. Clearly a lot of opportunity for monetization spanning multiple industries. And as we begin to close out the conversation to circle back on the point that Reed had brought up earlier in the conversation, how current virtual experiences such as video gaming, uh, that's not considered to be a metaverse. So that leads me to my final question. Kevin, when should we expect to experience the metaverse? Yeah, Dan, it's a good question. And, you know, it's still... I would say very, very early days for the metaverse, and we think it's likely too early, at least on the comp services side and the technology side, to really sit here and, and start picking the eventual winners. Um, we don't think there's going to sort of be a before and after metaverse. What we think is sort of a continual evolution towards the metaverse or metaverses that occurs over a number of years. Because as you mentioned, there's sort of some early instant, uh, instantiations of something that looks like the metaverse, but maybe doesn't take all the boxes that we think are required. Um, but we think we'll get there over time. We think you're going to see this, you know, continued rise in interest in, in, in virtual experiences that really owes itself to shifting con, uh, consumer trends. But, you know, ultimately, we don't think the metaverse today should be viewed as an investment thesis or a realistic investment driver just yet. As we said, though, we do think that there are a bunch of companies, a bunch of industries that will eventually benefit. And the good news here is that a lot of these companies that we think about as, and industries that we think about as participating in the metaverse over time, those companies have a lot of other you know, near-term and longer-term drivers that we do think are investable. And 
in, along the path of getting to the metaverse. So we do recommend, if you want exposure to the metaverse, we do recommend uh, circling back to some of our existing longer-term investment themes and some of our, our more tactical themes. Um, but we do think it's going to take sort of a number of years uh, before the metaverses or, or the metaverses are fully realized. Well, Kevin, Reed, Rob, very productive educational conversation today. I'm sure many of the questions on the minds of our listeners, our clients, when it comes to the metaverse or metaverses have been answered, though. There is a long road ahead and do very much look forward to tracking this evolution with all three of you. Uh, Thank you again for joining us on Top of the Morning today. Very much appreciate your time, as always. Thanks, Dan. And again today, we've been joined by Kevin Deneen, Technology Analyst Americas, Rob Samuels, Consumer Analyst Americas, as well as Reed Gilligan, Equity Associate Analyst Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including, of course, the publication which Kevin, Rob, and Reed have been making reference to during our conversation today, a U.S. Equities Let's Get Meta, an early introduction to the metaverses. So for clients of UBS, as I've mentioned, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you have any questions on the topics covered on today's conversation, or if you would like to receive a copy of that publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 